Good afternoon. My name is Rebecca Fox and here with us today is Michelle Angela Ortiz. Michelle is a visual artist, skilled muralist, community arts director and filmmaker who uses her art as a vehicle to represent people and communities whose histories are often lost or co-opted. Through community art practices, painting, documentaries and public art installations, she creates a safe space for dialogue around some of the most profound issues communities and individuals may face. Her work tells stories uses, using richly crafted and emotive imagery to claim and transform spaces into a visual affirmation that reveals the strength and spirit of the community. For anyone who hasn't yet seen her documentary, Las Madres de Burks is available to Dickinson students and staff through the library. Michelle, thank you so much for being with the Clark Forum again today. Thank you for inviting me. So the first question that came to my mind after watching your documentary and after doing all of this research was just this overwhelming sense that I had in some way failed because I had no idea that there was a family detention center in central Pennsylvania and I go to school in central Pennsylvania. How do you think the geographical location of the Burks uh, family detention center has impacted the general community expectations around it and the fight to shut it down? Well, I mean, I, I can say that you're not the only one that lives not just in central Pennsylvania, but just in the, our state of Pennsylvania that is unaware of um, this family prison that exists in our state. Um, uh, it's one of the reasons why I feel that creating the film was so important um, because the film is is a way of educating and creating awareness around um, this particular facility and how it has impacted the mothers and families that are represented um, in the film and are at the forefront of telling that story. Um, I feel that uh, you know the lack of knowledge is not um, by surprise; it's intentional, right? The fact mm -hmm. that this information is not readily available for many of the constituents within our state, how we speak or what the information that is presented to us or shared with us is really coming from a perspective of criminalizing these families, criminalizing people of color. And, uh, and so there is a lot of misinformation out there. And I feel that, as I said, it's really important, whether it's through my artwork, through my filmmaking or supporting initiatives and coalitions like the Shutdown Burks Coalition and uh, sharing uh, this information, sharing what is really happening. Where the detention center is situated is in Burks County. And one of the things that I share and that I've learned through the Shutdown Burks Coalition, which I want to also share this with, with you know, as, as an artist, I've learned so much in, uh, through the organizers and activists and the people who do this like 24 seven and are on the ground. And so what I've learned through through the Shutdown Burks Coalition and through their advocacy and advocacy efforts is that the Burks County is 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 situated in a place where, you know, it's it's a county that doesn't receive many resources by uh, renting uh, this facility to to um, ICE. Um, they're receiving close to $1.2 million in in funds. And so that shouldn't that falls into the same systems that are replicated throughout our, the United States on how mass incarceration is a business 
and, and how detention and deportation falls under that system of mass incarceration, which specifically targets black and brown communities. So in the case of Berks County, and when we look at Berks, the Berks family prison, um, it is seen uh, by supporters of immigrant detention as a cookie cutter, as an example that needs to be replicated um, in their eyes throughout our nation. And so it's really crucial for us as Pennsylvanians as constituents in our in our state to um, take action, because we're in a different position than Carnes and Dilly, which exist uh, our our family uh, detention centers in Texas. Berks is a county-run facility, as I mentioned. So the Berks commissioners and our governor and our DHS secretary uh, all really have the power to shut down this facility and utilize the facility for something that can support, not violate human rights, but can support human resources that is needed within our state of Pennsylvania. So it, it comes to no surprise that, you know, this particular facility is, is specifically in Berks County. It is isolated and most people don't even know that this, this facility exists. And also that it's not that far, you know, from other neighboring um, cities that are dealing with a lot of poverty and a lot of issues, right? And so Unfortunately, it's, it is a representation of how other detention centers within our United States exist, not just uh, around family prison, but like uh, adult immigrant detention centers. And yeah, I mean, all of the fact that we do not have knowledge around it, that there's no clarity even on what decisions are being made right now at this moment. Uh, the families that were currently detained at Berks uh, were released all the families were released at the end, uh, late February of this year. And, and though many people were celebrating, as well as I, that many of the families were released, there was uncertainty on what was going to happen with the facility. And, and so it's, it is kind of like celebrating these small little victories, but then being really cautious of letting our guard down. And so at this moment, the facility is, uh, there was a recent article about Burks trying to expand more of their bed spaces and, and or possibly uh, receiving families again uh, and, and detaining families uh, or um, expanding it to a uh, adult women's immigration um, detention facility. So in, in other words, it's still going to remain being a prison. And, and so I feel that as a Pennsylvanian, as someone who lives in this state, that is extremely important for us to be informed, for us to know what is going on, for, uh, for us to understand, you know, as, as folks that can vote, folks that can, you know, for me in particular, I'm a child of immigrants, but, you know, I've been translating documents since I was a child. So utilizing the English language to be able to um, really uh, advocate for many of the families or, or, or communities that are affected by this issue is, is crucial. So I do that through my artwork, but I think also just as a citizen, as someone who um, lives and has built my life here in this state, um, it's important for us to to speak out. So, you know, I, I think in a sense, I think the failure would be not the fact of, of, of not having information. It's what do you do once you have that information? What is the action that you decide to take? And part of that is also doing homework and investigating on who has already been doing this work and how can you be of 
service to them and service to the movement, right? And, uh, and, and that's basically how I've seen my work around this and, and supporting the work, the continued work of the Shutdown Berks Coalition. Absolutely, and that's, that's a brilliant point. Um, and I think sort of to that point, I was wondering about your process in learning about the Berk, Shutdown Berks Coalition and then how you decided to create this documentary and sort of what that, what was the process where you saw this and then did you decide immediately that a documentary was something that you wanted to create or was there a process of uh, first thinking that you wanted to start somewhere else? When did you decide that the documentary was something that was essential for people to see and to create? Yeah, so the documentary falls under the, the bigger project, which is called Familias Separadas. And Familias Separadas, which translates to separated families, is a project that I created in 2013 in response to the rise of deportations that were happening nationwide and specifically the presence of ICE, the more presence of ICE uh, within my own community here in Philadelphia. Excuse me. And so um, I felt that it was necessary to speak to detention and deportations and specifically what what did that mean in Philadelphia where we have all these symbols of freedom and democracy and at the same time we have many communities living in fear that they're going to be detained and separated by their families so I felt that obviously starting in my city was really important and and to to utilize the public artworks and, and to intervene into a lot of these different spaces, you know, City Hall in front of the ICE building at Love Park, very public open spaces in which many of these stories were not represented, right? And it was also during this time. So in 2013, I created Familias Separadas. It began to have conversations. Um, the first phase I worked with a specific immigrant rights organization called Juntos. Um, and it was through them and specifically from the community members that I was able to connect with five families that were willing to share their stories. Um, and so that that really comes around, again, building on the existing work of organizers and activists, and then also acknowledging and seeing the resources that the community has um, and, and their built-in trust relationships. And so that was really important because, you know, I, although am and I have spoken about this before in terms of privileges, like I'm, I am Latina, I am a child of immigrants, um, I'm not undocumented, I do speak Spanish fluently, as well as I do English. And so there are spaces that I know that I can enter or not, or that, that again, um, many of the communities in which I'm in contact with, um, even just having a college education is just, is, is seen, it should be a right, but is also seen as a privilege, right, in mm -hmm. this country. But it should be a human right that we all should have access to a good education. So these are all things that I am very much aware of in the work that I'm doing and in my, my approach with community members and, and also being very grateful and mindful of their level of trust with me and respectful of what they are, they are wanting to share or not. And so I always, that is at the fore, forefront of my work, right? Whatever vision I have as an artist or how I want to depict that, like that really comes secondary in, in that sense because it's really about establishing these relationships and finding ways to 
really amplify these stories. Um, a lot of people use that phrase, giving voice mm -hmm. to these communities and the community already has a voice. It's just a matter of creating platforms and spaces for that voice to be amplified, for that voice to reach out to people who can actually contribute in uh, the change that they want to see. So that first phase was really in response to what I was witnessing and seeing in my own community. And, and so I created those, those installations. And it was during that time in 2015 when I finally unveiled the installations that I had uh, the mothers at Berks were uh, organizing hunger strikes and labor strikes. They uh, were writing campaigns for their freedom. I think it was like shortly after uh, writing petitions to the Obama administration so that they would be granted freedom. So there was a whole bunch of just actions that were taking place during this time. And I had just been finalizing, I was just finalizing the first phase of Familias Separadas uh, here in Philadelphia. And I saw this momentum and I thought around 2017, was when I had approached the Shutdown Berks Coalition. And it was through the work that I did in the first phase that I was able to connect with someone who was part of the coalition already. I had shared with them my thoughts of what I wanted to do. Um, the documentary was not in my mind at that moment. It was just like, let's just do another series of public art installations. But nothing was really formalized other than the fact that I wanted to focus this on the families at Berks and do it on a state level, which is why um, Harrisburg was the point of on the map that we decided to focus on. And the thing that was really important, at least for me as an artist working in communities is really discussing and sharing what are my intentions? What am I trying to do? How can I be of help and, and advocacy? Um, it needs to be much more than a beautiful image right? It, how, how can it also have impact in the movement work that is already happening, that was already happening within the coalition? So I came at a time in 2017 when um, these mothers were fighting and really pushing and, um, and unfortunately, you know, there were 14 mothers that were detained for the two years, for close to two years. Fortunately, um, 10 of them were deported back. And so I came at a point where those 10 mothers were deported. So all of these, all of the efforts, the campaign writing, the fighting in the court cases, like collectively, just like all of that energy was put in and, and it was, and it really felt that they had lost a battle, right? That the 10 families that were deported, the children, the mothers that had been incarcerated, unfortunately, you know, um, just for seeking asylum, which is their legal right had endured so much during those two years. And then for them to return back to their home countries, return back to the violence that they were fleeing from was just felt like a battle that was lost. And so I, where like spirit and morale was just like at a all time low. And so I came in at during this time not to engage the mothers to write a campaign letter, which they had already been exhausted of doing, or to talk about how they've been victims of the system, which they have continued to, you know, in order to fight their cases, they have to talk about all of the horrible things that have happened to them. So what I say is that, you know, what the artwork in this project was able to provide was that space in between that usually does not have space. There is no space for it because you're just trying to fight and all, all angles to try to get the advocacy and help that you need to get out. 
which was the space of answering these questions, you know, what gives you strength in moments of darkness? What is the future that you have for yourself and for your child? And so how those moments of just also acknowledging and seeing and remembering their own strength and resilience and love in the middle of the, the bigger fight, right, of just trying to get have their freedom was just basically holding that space for them, right? And so these conversations, I visited the mothers for five months and the way that I was able to connect with the mothers inside, I connected with two mothers inside, which is um, Lorena and Delmi who appeared in the film. I was able to build on the trust relationships that one of the organizers that was also part of the um, coalition, Maria Sotomayor, you know, after I had shared my my intentions with the um, with the coalition, then they basically became the bridge for me to be able to connect with the mothers. And even when I went to go see the mothers, there was no guarantee that they would say, yeah, sure, we'll do this, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was really like, okay, now I, they can get to hear me. This is what my intention is. This is what I would like to do. This is how I, and they communicated to me, like, we don't want to have to write any more campaign letters. This is not, yeah. and I said, okay, this is not what we're trying. This, that's not what this is about. And really just framing it the same way as I had mentioned to you of like, what were, what were going to be the things that we would be focusing on. And thankfully they said yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so what I did was I, I would schedule visits with the mothers and a lot of our visits was just having conversations. Um, we did uh, some drawings and some letter writing, but it was mostly around just capturing what their thoughts were, what they were dealing with during that time. I think another huge thing during my visits because we were being um, watched, every, every visit I was being watched so I had to be really careful with what I was sharing and because I was just seen as a visitor. It's yeah. very difficult to go visit the mothers or any families. After I had been visiting, they made it even harder for anyone to come and visit the families. And so that then is detrimental to the families because they then can't communicate what's going on. Absolutely. So so I just wanted to, to end this point, which is that, um, you know, it was building on that relationship with with the um, with the Shutdown Burks Coalition. Um, and then once the mothers were released, I continued working with the mothers. The mothers then connected me with others that were interested in participating in the project. And that's when I realized that a documentary needed to happen besides the public artwork because um, the mothers needed that space to share their own story using their own words. One last question that I really wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, after watching the documentary, when you started talking again, you encouraged everyone in the audience to take a deep breath. How did you manage your own mental and emotional health and well-being during the process of hearing such traumatic stories? And you know, we're talking about rec not recreating, but documenting this in a way that's best for the mothers and working through the process of uh, trauma, a trauma-informed approach, as you called it. Yeah. How do you recommend, how did you get through it? And how do you recommend other young artists who are maybe looking at using their art for the purpose of helping marginalized communities do it in a sustainable manner? Yeah, I mean, I think it's also, I, I, a lot of this also has to do with understanding yourself 
right? And what you, I always say, I don't ever ask a question that I'm not willing to answer myself. And, and mm -hmm. not that, not that these conversations and the work I do with communities should be seen as therapy, right? Not, it's not a moment for me to just spill out everything that's happening with me. But I think that, um, that in terms of sharing or, or connecting, being able to, to find points in which you identify and also know points that there's no way that I would know that experience of walking for 28 days with a three-year-old and not knowing what could happen next, right? Like yeah. that is, that's a, that's a, a real story that I um, uh, won't have an experience, right? But then I feel like it is important to share and, and, and to um, hold space for that story and for that person telling the story. So I feel like for me, you know, there was a, it takes about an hour and 45 minutes to drive from Philadelphia to Berks. And although at times I didn't like the drive because it was so long, um, I felt like it was long. It, fe it felt like an eternity. Um, I really didn't need that time to just center myself, right? And I think that that's another huge thing. Like <clears throat> one of the children, Lorena's son is a year older than my son. And so I, um, you know, I'm coming from my home to the center and interacting with other mothers, with children around, with a child around my age. And so I really needed to, you know, it, it, it was really about putting my own feelings aside for a moment as I was driving over to prepare myself to be present for the mothers, right? So however horrible or, or annoying it was that we would have the guard watching us, cameras watching us, um, the mother sharing their, their, their stories or what they were just experiencing, like, you know, anger and, and um, just frustration over the situation, right? The reality is, is that, and this is again, acknowledging my privilege, like I'm able to enter and exit the space. Right. And and again, when we talk about human rights around education, this freedom is a human right that has been denied to these families and children. Right. And so um, how whatever it is that I'm feeling at that moment is just um, really pushing that in the background and at the foreground is how can I be present for these mothers um, and um, and I felt that hour and 45 minutes was my spirit and mind preparing myself for that. Um, and, and whatever feelings I was having about frustration or anger, like I'm just going for two hours. So these mothers have been here for two years, yeah. right? So like, there's no really space for them to see my tears and to, um, if anything, it is like, how can I help them um, how can I emphasize their their focus, their faith, their fight for freedom? And so that that is what I did during that time frame, right? It's not that I wouldn't hear or empathize, or obviously sometimes there were tears, sometimes there were hugs, um, but most importantly, it was okay. Once I left their, the session with them, I would always leave them with some type of prompt. So like a writing prompt, or we would do some breathing exercises because a lot, specifically one of the moms is dealing with a lot of anxiety. So I would leave them with some um, mindfulness uh, techniques and, and thoughts um, 
that uh, that are actually inc incorporated. Some of them, some of the thoughts and questions are incorporated within the facilitator's guide of just centering breathing and visualization. And those were some of the things that I left the mothers with because I understood that I'm walking out these doors and coming back to my life here and the mothers are returning back to their rooms, right? And so that means that whatever they've shared with me emotionally, which is really traumatic, um, they will be sitting with once they return back to their rooms. So I needed to kind of recalibrate our thought process um, and, and really have a process of like, okay, we can share these things. And I wouldn't know what the mothers were going to share, but I knew that if there was anything that was painful or, or something that would really deeply affect them, I can always count on that at the end of our session, we would always leave with something um, with a perspective of hope, with, with uh, a prompt that would help them um, focus on uh, their love for their children, their strength and resilience, as I, as I mentioned. Uh, and so that is just more of my role as an artist and community arts educator in finding ways in what I call like my lesson plans or my curriculum in saving space towards the end of our sessions for that care, right, for, for them. And so the ride back the hour and 45 minutes was me shifting my own my own feelings and anger and frustration over that situation um, in, in which the mothers are living firsthand and having my feelings but also then preparing myself to be present for my own child yeah. in my home right yeah and so back. absolutely so I think that um uh the self-care is really um, if we are uh, aware of it, if we um, put it within our work, like in the same way as we're saying, oh, we need a warm up or we need introductions or we have this agenda, part of the agenda is about care where are we caring for ourselves? Mm -hmm. You know, why is it that we need to take a moment, a, a, a breath after the film to then have the conversation? Because it, I, I, I feel that that is important in the work that we do. It's the only way that it's going to help sustain our level of mental and spiritual and physical energy. Um, and so what I can share is that um, we did a whole a year of screenings and that was really intense because I had to see the film over and over and over again. And it was very emotional, which is why I, I incorporated that breath because I needed it for myself, right? Not just for the viewers, but I needed it for myself. Um, but the other thing too is that, um, you know, uh, in in this phase three of work that I'm doing right now with Familia Separadas, which now we're expanding it to Aurora, Colorado, Dover, New Hampshire, and Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the work that we've been, that I've been doing since November. I intentionally hired a very skilled playwright Paul Flores to at least be the person at first hand to receive the stories. Because I knew that my own emotional capacity um, could not handle, you know, handle the stories. And so um, because I have the resources as an artist, because I was really being mindful and caring for myself, right? Um, I was able to get the support that I needed 
with other artists that are like-minded, that understand this work, that understand how to do this work in this way, that I could still have someone present for the families um, and for the community participants in the way that I was present for the mothers at Berks, but without having me be there as the sponge to absorb it all, right? So like I yeah. have a team of artists that we can support one another through this process and as well as being supportive of the family. So, um, so yeah, I think that, you know, I, I talk about acknowledging our own feel, uh, acknowledging our privilege is also part of acknowledging our own feelings, right? So not just mm -hmm. our biases, but just like the tears and our emotions, like it's not necessarily ignoring them, it's giving space for them. Mm -hmm. But sometimes um, that is that shouldn't be a charge or another weight on the community participants, yeah. on yeah. the mothers, on, you know, that should be something that we're holding space for ourselves for that, right? Mm -hmm. And who is it in our community? Who are the other artists? Who are the people that we know that we can have these conversations that will hold space for us? I think is is extremely important in this work and acknowledging like your own level of threshold like what can you what can you deal with and what do you know that you can't um so so I think that's really important and yeah and I think that um uh keeping at the forefront self-care these spaces that you need to hold for yourself and the spaces that you need to hold for the community members um, for the community, whomever it is that you're engaging with, um, that uh, by incorporating these systems, right, and there's tons of information now that I'm so happy that it exists, which didn't exist way back when I was starting out as an, as an artist working in communities around trauma-informed practice, um, around mindfulness, and, and also just um, the acceptance of mindfulness and the acceptance of self-care, which I think 10 years ago was not really a thing, right? I mean, yeah, it, it existed, but it wasn't as, as welcoming, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel that those are some tools for young artists right now that you can utilize and, and put into action. But I think it is about a balance between what you need for yourself, right? Um, what are other models in which other artists have taken care of themselves like yeah. and and it's a great question because a lot of people focus on the community part aspect but they're they don't always ask about well how about how is that individual leading this process mm -hmm. um, kind of navigating through that and and moving through all of that um, stuff so uh, so it's a great question thank you for asking that <laughs> Well, thank you so much for that wonderful, wonderful summary. I think that the entire work was fascinating and hearing, getting to hear your process for it as, as a young artist myself was so thought provoking for how I could, for how I and for how anybody else going down the path of art, but wanting to involve social change and social activism and looking at community art. Uh, there is nobody better to talk to than somebody who has done this already. So thank you so much for being here with us today. And I'm sure everyone at the Clark Forum and at Dickinson College is going to be looking forward to seeing what comes next with the Familia Separadas project and all future products that you create. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you.